This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Good evening, everyone, and uh, welcome to our evening study on the Acts of the Holy Spirit. We're up to Acts 18, and uh, as we're gathering in the name of the Lord to study His Word, we will honor Him and, and His presence with prayer. Is it, can I take a volunteer for praying for us? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Father, we thank you for this time set aside to come before your word. We pray, Lord, that you guide our thoughts and inspire us by the presence of your spirit within us and among us. Father, that we may see new and wonderful things out of your word. Amen. Uh, so as we can see from uh, the last couple of chapters, um, uh, Paul really is, is uh, the, the, the major star of the show now. And the way it's being presented um, switches. The material that they're saying, the material that they're not saying, um, now starts to really... Um, it's taking a different form. And we've noticed in our study, which we're studying the Acts of the Holy Spirit, we've noticed in the last couple of chapters he's been quite absent. Very heavily involved at the start. first couple of chapters he was doing stuff all the time. And we were noting his activity, and now, now not so much. And so, to recap uh, our study from last uh, last week, which was Paul and Luke in Athens. So Paul and Luke, remember Silas and Timothy, remain in Berea for whatever reason, and uh, to keep and strengthen the brothers there. So Paul and Luke are brought by the brothers. In this case, whenever the Greek now says Adelphi, the brethren. It means Jews and Gentiles. So the one new man has now taken root and Jews and Gentiles are now being called the same thing. They get brought to Athens, which is a Greek city and not a Roman colony. So far all the places that he's been visiting are Roman colonies and they have a different way of being created, a different uh, environment, different um, population base and language. Um, a lot more heavily into, into Latin as well as, as, as well as Greek. Athens is Greek and is a pure Greek city. While this is not the first Greek city that Paul has visited, the scale of idolatry is distressing for him. And uh, it's noted that way at the beginning of the chapter. So then we discussed how Jewish people feel about idolatry today and their feelings towards the Christian Trinity. And, uh, and so when we engage with Jewish people, you know, how do they feel about us and our three gods idea? Or how do they feel about us and our images which we have in, in churches? Because uh, it was a big deal 2,000 years ago. It's still a big deal now. In Athens, Paul found ample platforms to speak, both in the synagogue and in the public forum. And Athens actually had a few. A few forums dotted around uh, ancient Athens. The presentation of the message that he's going to deliver, of Jesus being the Messiah, is different in both areas. So he had, he had basically contextualized evangelism. He did not say the same thing in the synagogue as he did outside in the street. Note again that when we do find Paul sitting in and having a debate or a dialogue uh, with, from the scriptures in the synagogue, it is with Septuagint Greek texts. Okay? Paul does not use Hebrew. Um, and yet he can still pinpoint to Jesus being the Messiah which is a very interesting point for us all. In the marketplace forums, 
Hall encounters professional philosophers from the school of the Epicureans and the Stoics. The Epicureans were the ones who believed that uh, happiness was the highest of pursuits and the Stoics said that no really you should temper ourselves and become one with nature which actually is God anyway. And, uh, so they had a few different ways of looking at, at the world. However, they misunderstand Paul's message. The philosophers charge Paul with advocating new gods. Right? Jesus, Jesus, sounds like a corrupted form of Zeus. Right? Uh, even though they are spelled completely differently in Greek. Just so everybody knows. In English they look the same. In Greek they do not. Yeah. Right? Uh, and the feminine de deity, Anastasia. Anastasia is in, in Greek. Resurrection. So when he's talking about the resurrection, a complete foreign concept to Greek theology. They don't, they, when people die, they go to a very beautiful world. Elysium, you know, the heavenly gardens. Why the heck would anyone want to come back? Right? So Greeks don't do uh, resurrection. So when they hear the word resurrection, Anastasios, Anastasia, what do they hear? Feminine God. Okay, so wow, this guy's talking of these new gods. We don't do new gods. Uh, no mention is actually made of Paul's Jewish identity, as had occurred in previous cities. In previous chapters of, of Acts, whenever we bring Paul uh, to, the, to the whatever court he's in front of, the first thing the Greeks say is, this guy's Jewish. But here they don't do that. His, his, his national identity is not mentioned at all. New religions were forbidden in Roman law. Thus Paul is politely, but firmly, taken to face those charges in front of the Areopagus, which is a religious court of philosophers and priests in Athens dealing with religious and philosophical matters only. So there were other courts for crime, but when you had a religious matter, you were brought before this, this group of people. New ideas needed to be investigated and were deemed in the Greek worldview as potentially good. Right? So they investigated new things. New things were good. Contrast the Jewish thought in which the old possesses greater authority. So this is, so on one hand, new gods, this is bad. On the other hand, new thoughts, this is good. So let's hear this boy out and see what he's got to say. Paul begins his defense with careful praise on the religious nature of the Athenians. He does not insult them for their idolatry. Instead, he makes use of that very component of Greek culture to discuss the identity of the unknown God. Note, Athenians have a weakness, and he's found a little chink in their armor. They like and pursue knowledge, yet they have something in their possession, and they don't know what it is. And so the unknown God altar. Therefore, Paul has that knowledge, and they need to learn it. So he's, uh, he can take the local culture, he can see his, uh, his way in, and he takes the op that opportunity. Contextualized evangelism. In his big defense, Paul does not make use of uh, Jewish sacred history, which you see in other big uh, spiels in front of the Sanhedrin. In Jewish audiences, you appeal to the history of the Jewish nation and how God has worked through history. When you're dealing with, Greek, with Gentiles, you don't do that. There's no point. Instead, he uses an appeal to natural creation, sharing the same thoughts as Hellenistic philosophers and even quoting the Stoic poetry of Aratus. Paul does not quote from the Bible. However, there are biblical allusions to the God of heaven and earth, to the one man Adam of Genesis. 
Paul declares all nations to be under God's sovereign rule, not mentioning Israel or its prophetic future. Thus, all people would be drawn to seek the one true God, with the promise that those who seek will find. And this is an allusion to Deuteronomy 32, where um, Moses, in his last instructions to Israel, does say, you're going to go into the land, you're going to possess it, you're going to uh, take over their gods, you're going to believe in their gods, you're going to blow it completely. But if you seek the Lord, you will find him. And he, he uses that sort of idea with all nations here as the Gentiles. Paul then finishes with logic. If we are made by God, then the things that we make cannot be gods, like those statues and those idols. And he calls the Athenians to repentance. What do Gentiles know of repentance? Not a lot. Well, not too much. And while the defense succeeds in winning Paul release from the Areopagus court, he does not win many disciples. The vision given to Paul was to go to Macedonia. This he did, and there was success. Athens was not a destination given in the vision, and there is little success. A few names are mentioned, however, including Dionysus, the future bishop of Athens, and a member of the Areopagus, so he does have um, some success. And Damaris, who we don't know anything about, but she, as in the tradition of Luke, she is a prominent wealthy woman. Okay, because he's just got to mention the girls, right? Okay. Uh, note, in this whole chapter, as in also in 16, sacred history does not record an appearance of the Holy Spirit. Right? That doesn't say he wasn't there. It's just saying that our sacred history does not record it happening. There are no recorded miracles. There are no baptisms. There's no tongues. There's no visions. People come to faith through spoken word. Good, solid Bible study. Right? And that's what we saw in Thessalonica, that's what we saw in Berea, now we're seeing the same thing in, in Athens. In the, the previous places in Philippi, we actually did have a miracle, and he got beaten up for it. So it didn't have as the, uh, the desired effect, so to speak. So it's very interesting that our uh, sacred history has begun to switch in this direction. And so it's interesting to note the absence of the recorded Holy Spirit. That doesn't say he's not there. Sacred history is not recording it. Okay? Uh, that sounds like a, a true and fair record of last week's study. Okay, great, good. So let's have a look at Acts uh, 18, because now we hit um, a big city where we're going to end up a couple of epistles out of this one. We get no epistle to the Athenians, right? We will get a letter to the Philippians. We will get a letter to the Thessalonians. We'll do two of them. No correspondence to the Bereans. They seem to be doing fine. Uh, and there's nothing to the Athenians. Okay. But uh, we will get, obviously, a fair bit of correspondence to Corinth. So let's read Acts 18. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. And because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to pursue, pursue Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. 
and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to him, Blood be upon your own heads, I am clean from now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshipper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Christus, the leader of the synagogue, and everyone in his household believed in the Lord. Many others in Corinth also heard Paul, became believers, and were baptized. One night the Lord said to Paul in a vision, Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not be silent. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. So Paul stayed for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him into court. Saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or, or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to, uh, to accept your, com your complaint. Since it's a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. So he drove them off. Then they all turned to uh, Sophanes, the synagogue ruler, and they beat him in front of the court. But Gallio showed no concern whatsoever. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Centurae he had cut his hair, for he was, he, for he was under a bow. They arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself sent into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. And as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea and gone up and greeted the church, he went down to Antioch. After spending some, some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the regions of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well, had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. He was an eloquent man, well versed in the scriptures. Sorry, this man was instructed in the way of the Lord, being fervent in the spirit, spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollo wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote the disciples there, there to welcome him. On arriving, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, 
showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Alright. Okay. So, from an initial surface reading, is there anything there that stands out? Anything there that grabs your attention? Oh, you who? Who's which sisters? Which sisters? Verse 18, you mean? Yeah, mine says believers, which also maybe a better translation than brothers in our uh, gender equal society. It's brethren, which technically means brothers and sisters. Sisters, yes, that's true. Yeah. Brothers and sisters encouraged him. Yeah. Yep. Remember, the New Testament, both the Gospels and most definitely Luke, love to mention the girls. Do they not? Yes, they do. And, uh, and we actually end up with this female um, hero coming in right now in this chapter. But, yeah. the, the New Testament writers actually are consistently pushing the envelope on this issue. They, they were in a certain culture that the gospel was out to change. They couldn't do it all at once. It was, they were pushing back. Yep, because you would not normally mention ladies in this fashion. But they do, very boldly. They weren't educated, they had no rights, and all that was changed. One thing that struck me was that stuff about uh, Gallio, where he says, um, okay, you're kind of wanting to bring before me something to do with the law, but but if it was something, uh, a violent crime or some misdemeanor, then I'd pay attention. Then they start beating up Sosthenes <laughs> and the rods, and he doesn't pay attention. He doesn't pay attention, yeah, that's right, yeah. So, What's going on there? there says, and Arubo and Gallio paid no attention to any of this. Yeah. So that's kind of a little dig in the yeah. this, this guy was actually, you know, not a man of integrity. Yes, and he wasn't um, the, was he proconsul or something? What's yeah. his title? He wasn't proconsul there for very long. No. And um, so this actually becomes a dating mechanism for, for um, Paul's journey to Corinth. Because he was there for one year. And so you, you end up with a, oh my gosh, we now know exactly when Paul was in Corinth because you've got a, 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 a time date. Yeah, it's one of the key ones. In yep, Acts. it is, it's a key one. Yeah. I find it puzzling here in the text, I mean, not the first time, especially not thinking about it. How could Apollos have been so eloquently and well instructed, accurately instructed? the truth of Jesus and the scriptures and not know baptism in his name. This is quite a mystery to me. That's a good question. He, could, he must have known disciples. How could he have known this, the story of Jesus and yet he knew nothing of baptism in his name? Quite a mystery. Do we know through tradition who or the, the apostles might have gone down to Alexandria to take the news there? I mean, I know the people from the day of Pentecost would have Returned. The tradition is Mark took the gospel to Egypt. Now, whether that's it's the tradition. How's that? I'll just leave it there. <laughs> okay, that's the we have no we have very our Bible contains no record of that occurring. Um, other other texts do. Okay. It's interesting that John the Baptist made more of an impact uh, far and wide yeah. than by this stage in history. It seems that the news of Jesus. Did. Yeah. It hadn't, it hadn't made the same impact in the, over the same geographical area. Right. John had disciples. John 
even when he's in prison, still has disciples who then go and, and question Jesus. After the death of John, these disciples, I guess, continue the message. And um, which is exactly what happens with Jesus, yes? Yeah, Jesus dies and resurrects and the disciples continue on with the message. And, uh, and yet, that, and so they did. Yeah. And, um, and here they, they, they have a, a meeting, which is also interesting. Cool. Um, somebody read a variant text or a variant way that the translation, I'm going to see if, if it's, you, you know it. You know what I'm talking about? The, um, somebody uh, read Greeks in the uh, judgment seat with values. Uh, yeah, what, what, what's the actual Greek? Uh, what's the Greek is not in the earliest manuscripts. There's uh, a textual problem here that everybody's been addressing ever since Paul wrote the letter. Namely, who was Sosthenes and who was it that beat him? That's right, yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, who, 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 who is he and, who, and why does he get beaten up? Especially when we've just talked about who the other guy is of the head of the synagogue, which is Crispus. So, which is interesting. Okay, cool. All right. All right, so let's, uh, let's start and see how, how far we, we get. So, verse 1. Um, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Okay, very simple little uh, transitional sentence. What is slightly unique about this uh, move from Athens to Corinth for Paul? Right. He, for the first time, he doesn't have to run there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for the you know, normally he's 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 on the run. He's been kicked out of one place after another after another. Now, now for the first time, we get a. I think I'll go to Corinth today. Right. There's no compulsion to leave Athens. There's no. We're going to get you. They're coming to get you. It's. Um, he hasn't had a vision sequence. Uh, we don't even know the real time. Just. Once upon a time, Paul decided to go to Corinth. Um, sometimes, you know, Luke can be very specific with his dates, and other times he's just stuck. Well, you know, it's been about 8050. I mean, from, from that. Correct. We, we, we do know because once we get into Corinth, we end up with um, the date of Galileo, Gal whatever his name is, uh, and he's 51. So they, they tend to put uh, Acts 15 occurring in 48, so you can sort of see that. We've now had about two and a half years to nearly three years uh, of Paul running around the various places since Acts 51, uh, Acts 15. Okay. I mean, an inference would be that he was a bit disappointed with the response in Athens and headed off to the next nearest big city. Yeah, could be. And Corinth was most definitely that. Right. Uh, what do people know about Corinth? Had a reputation. Yeah, it's a Roman colony. <laughs> it had a reputation. Very much so. Yes. Sorry. It was a Roman city, but not a colony. Yes, it had been it had, it, had, it had been destroyed uh, in some war. I can't remember which one. And yes, right. Julius Caesar rebuilt it, and uh, and because uh, it was such a valuable uh, strategic spot. What's so special about Corinth? Yes. 
It's, yeah, it's an unpronounceable word. Um, it's got two harbors. There's this basically like a land bridge and uh, you can have a harbor on one side and a harbor on the other and you can transport goods. So they don't have to sail all around the bottom. Uh, where's our little map? Maps are fantastic. So let's uh, take some maps and hand them out. Didn't they also drag boats on that? Yeah, about so, the Isthmus, yeah. yeah. So it, it became an incredibly, it's like the Suez Canal, right? The, 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 the British Empire going, oh my gosh, we love India, we love all the stuff of India, we need to get all the stuff from India to Britain as soon as possible. Um, what shall we do? Let's build a canal. And, and they did. So, Julius Caesar also has a strategic reason for refounding the city. Okay, uh, so it's going to be heavily populated, a lot like a Roman colony, with Roman, ex-Roman soldiers and people. Hence, a large number of Roman names suddenly appear, Latin, Latin names. Okay, um, but it's still a Greek city, and and it was also known for a high proportion of slaves, as well as its. Um, Massive immorality, which seems to affect the early church in that area. Um, the 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 population was apparently around 300,000, and the slave population was apparently nearly 500,000. So a huge amount of slavery, right? They outnumbered the local people. Um, and I just want to add on the map. If you look carefully, you can see Corinth, and Saint Crea is. Right next to it. So St. Crea is one of the ports in Corinth, and the other, the other one. Yes, that's the right. Other, the, the either side of the land bridge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. So, um, Luke is 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 silent. Now remember, what was when Paul was in Athens? Who was he waiting for? Timothy and Silas. Yes. Now, they don't appear to, well, Luke doesn't record them actually arriving, right? Um, they'll show up a little bit later, but it doesn't have them recording going to Athens. However, Paul does in his letter to the Thessalonians, in 1 Thessalonians 3, he makes a mention of, to the people of Thessalonians, how he had sent Timothy and Silas to them from Athens. Like, oh, now how did that happen? Um, and so the there, there isn't a clear amount of time. We're, we're not sure. So Silas and Paul, I mean, what is Silas' special ability? He's a prophet. Okay? So he's a known prophet and he hasn't actually hasn't prophesied anything. Okay? But he's a prophet. And uh, he shows up with Timothy, probably giving a report from Berea, which is where they were. And then in Thessalonians, Paul had sent them to uh, Thessalonia to look after the church. And then they show up again uh, later. All right? But here, there's no mention of that actually happening. Um, all right. So verse, uh, verse 2. Um, there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. And then in verse 4, every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, 
trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Anything different about the way Luke has, has uh, begun this introduction of, his, of the encounter in, in um, Corinth? This is an uncharacteristic thing that Luke does of actually giving a prelude of, a, of some people. Normally, you arrive in the town, straight to the synagogue, and later we introduce a bunch of people. But for some reason, okay, it's very uncharacteristic for Luke to do this, he, he gives you this um, background story. I mean, you get no background on, on, on these people, right? Uh, there's no backstory on hardly any character that shows up, like these ones you do. Uh, any idea why we have nice background to these guys? Any idea why you would think you'd have some good background? Yeah, they they end up becoming quite quite well known amongst the brothers. And so these end up we need a bit of backstory for these people. <laughs> yeah, <it's> sneaky. <laughs> all right. So there he meets a Jewish guy, okay, with the name Aquila, all right, and uh, and he's a native of Pontus, right? or comes from from Pontus. All right. Um, on your map, you see where Pontus is. Okay. Top right hand corner. Top right hand corner. Okay. So he's from he's from Pontus. He's uh, from the, he's, he's not Turkish because they haven't arrived yet for another thousand years or so. Um, so we're not 100% sure he's, he's a Greek speaker. Somehow, he's ended up, he's got a Latin name. Somehow he ends up in um, Rome, where Andy, Andy ends up having a, a lady whose name, Priscilla, uh, is also a Latin name. And um, they get kicked out um, of, of Rome by a, a guy called Claudius. Everyone knows who Claudius is, yes? An emperor. An emperor, yes. Um, anyone see the movie, uh, the British show, I, Claudius? Yes. Played by Jeremy Irons? Yeah. Oh, fantastic show. Um, didn't mention this event at all. Okay. Um, he was the first Roman emperor ever to be born outside of Italy. Okay, he was actually born in Gaul. Um, and he had some sort of uh, physical disability. Uh, is that what it was? Okay. And and so he kept being sort of. He had what? He he, he had a physical uh, disability. So he wasn't viewed as a threat in the imperial game. So while everybody's assassinating each other, they kind of leave this guy alone, and it ends up he's last man standing, <laughs> and becomes the boss. And um, and. And he and he, he succeeded a really nasty piece of work. Anyone know the emperor just before him? Caligula. Yes, this guy was just a moron, right? So he ended up uh, making his white horse a member of the the senate. Uh, he commanded his army to attack the sea. Um, he was he would yeah he just incredibly nuts. He ended up um, getting all the senators' wives into prostitution to pay off the Roman debt, and got assassinated for it. Okay, as rightly probably pretty much should have been, and uh, and that puts Claudius in charge. And Claudius, while doing, then proceeded to actually be in terms of Roman rule, quite a good emperor. 
He built roads, he improved the aqueduct, uh, he stabilized uh, the, the borders of uh, the empire, he began to expand it and proceeded to invade Britain, and we're all thankful for that, aren't we? Uh, no, anyway, um, that's what he does, and so he begins the, the conquest of Britain, uh, but he ended up also having some problems with the Jewish people. What do you think that was? Why would he be expelling Jews? We have a hint that there were big arguments in Rome about someone called Crestus. Yes, do you know who, who wrote that? Uh, what was his name? Um, Aria, was it Soconius or something like that? No, 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 no. It's a, it's a, it's a, there's a Greek, uh, no, a Roman historian who writes... Uh, the Chronicles of the Emperors, and he starts, his name starts with S. Suetonius? Suetonius. Suetonius. Suetonius writes that during the reign of um, Claudius, there was this problem with the Jews. And they kept rioting at the instigation of some guy called Crestus. Okay? So what's Crestus in uh, other forms? Christ. Okay, and what have we seen in the book of Acts so far? So they were messianic. Yeah, Jewish riots, right. Whenever whenever someone comes along and starts talking about Jesus, who gets jealous? Right, the non-believing Jews, so what do they do? They cause trouble, right? In the in Asia, what they did is they would go out and stir up the Gentiles. Okay? For whatever reason, in Rome, it seemed to be that they tended to do it. So the first thing that Claudius did, the first rule that he shut down was, I forbid Jews from gathering in large numbers. You know, he's obviously got some problem. Every time Jews get in a large number, they cause a riot. So let's forbid that. Well, that didn't work. So he says, okay, that's it, get out. And that, that degree occurred in 49. Right? So Apparently some widespread anti-Semitism in the Roman Empire as well. Yeah, so that didn't help. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And this event becomes a significant point understanding what happened to the church in Rome and then why Paul has to write to them, probably from Corinth, and bash them heads together because under Nero they were allowed back. The Jews were allowed yes, back. Which is the next guy. The next yes. guy under Nero. Yeah. That's early on his range while he's still seven. Yeah. Um, and therefore the Jewish believers come back into Rome and the church there has been run by Gentiles for a number of years and it's doing okay, let's say. And then the Jews come back and say, remember us? <laughs> we were running the show before we got kicked out. And so I think that would be, that's an aspect of the problems that the Queen of Priscilla asked Paul to write to Rome in order to sort out. That's kind of the backstory behind the Romans, that the, the Gentiles were being arrogant as part of the problem. Mm. So, but it's, it's a key incident, is this Jews get kicked out and then they come back. Yep. Yep. And so here you have the, the time period where they're kicked out. So Aquila and Priscilla are a married couple. Okay, so we've got males and females working together in tandem in terms of the mission field. Uh, oddly enough, the names will switch around. We've seen that happen before. So from after this, it will be called Priscilla and Aquila. <coughs> and, um, but they're introduced in the patriarchal way, uh, which is also interesting in the, in the book of Acts, when Barnabas went to Tarsus to go find Saul, 
how did how was Acts recording their names? It was always Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas and Saul. Then we get to Cyprus. Saul meets a guy called Paulus, uh, and he becomes a believer. Saul changes his name to Paul. Um, where do you get that idea from? And then all of a sudden, it's Paul and Barnabas. And they have a switch in here. They introduce with Aquila and Priscilla. Later on, it'll be the other way around. It's very interesting. How do you think these guys came to faith? I mean, the backstory never never shared that bit. Probably in Rome. Yeah. And uh, and and how would the gospel have gotten to Rome? Oh, Pentecost. Yeah. So Acts chapter two described how Jews coming from Rome had become believers in Jesus. They have taken the Holy Spirit and the gospel back with them. What Bible do they have? They don't have a New Testament. That's for sure. <laughs> okay. Um, and so they have returned to Rome and the people in Rome have been sitting in the synagogue going, great, how was it, chaps? Did you have a good time? Because they're British. And, uh, and, and they said, no, it was absolutely fantastic. You know, we were there, there were tons of fire, there was like earthquakes and ground shaking and, you know, we believe in the Messiah now. And everyone's sort of like, wow, let's not send anyone to Rome. Okay. Um, the tea over there is really having an effect on these people. But it, it somehow it kicks off that there's this movement, and the movement is in, it stays. Like there's no apostle, even though there will be a tradition that Peter gets there, but that's not the point. Okay. Um, we don't have we don't have a definitive hero that shows up in Rome until later. Uh, and yes, it is Peter, but it's later. Okay. And um, and Paul as well, uh, but somehow the gospel took root. And we don't know how it happened. There could have been miracles. There could have been uh, angelic visitations. There could have been good, solid, deep Bible studies. We have no clue. Um, uh, what we do get is these heroes, and they had a special job. What's their job? What's their trade? Tent makers. And um, Arie is our Greek scholar uh, there. Um, I had to look this word up. S was it skenothesis? That's. <laughs> Can we say that slowly for the camera? Skenos <laughs> yeah. is a tent. Right. Poyeo is to make. To make, yep. Tent maker, yep. They make tents, okay? And it just seems to be, isn't it interesting that. Um, that these guys have this uh, this this um, trade, and the Western texts add the detail that um, Aquila is actually also from the tribe of Benjamin. Okay, the Western texts, you know, love to keep adding extra stuff, and in some of the some of the verses, they will really like throw it out there. Like uh, our verse four, what's our verse four say? Uh, Alpha, so after giving all the background story, right? So Paul, he's got the same tribe, they're believers, probably speaking very similar uh, dialect and language. <laughs> Hellenistic Jews who know everything, tent makers, says, uh, verse 4, every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Okay. Uh, in the Western version, it says... And he found Aquila, a man from Pontus by race, a Jew, who had lately come from Italy with Priscilla, his wife, and he went to them. Now these had come out from Rome because Claudius Caesar had commanded all Jews to leave Rome, and they settled in Greece. 
And Paul became known to Aquila because he was of the same tribe and the same trade, and he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And entering into the synagogue every Sabbath day, he held a discussion, inserting the name of the Lord Jesus and persuaded not only Jews, but also Greeks. Don't you love those versions where they just give you extra detail? Okay. For, um, that's Western text for you. Okay, Western text just loved it. Where do they find all that detail? Sorry? Yeah, all of our Bibles are Alexandrian texts using Acts. Okay, we do not use Western text Acts. Okay, um, but they're there. And they're really handy for researchers to, to look at. And sometimes in our Bible, uh, when you have a Bible study note on Acts, they will have them down the bottom to say, oddly enough, there are some other versions that say this, and then they'll quote them. I, I could not be a silly question, but all those extra details, how exactly were they written in? I mean, were they like originally, or just how research that people did? To okay. Uh, how to describe this one? Okay, I'm, I'm sorry. Okay, no, these two are pretty good, so let's go. Go for it. <laughs> so Luke writes this, and the end of the story is before Paul is going to trial in Rome. That's in, in Rome. And I think Luke wrote it for a particular purpose related to the trial in Rome. But probably what happened is when people read it, they said, this is an amazingly useful document. Can you make us a copy? And copies would have been made and transported around um, you know, take it from city to city, and then people say, I, I know about this incident, I can fill in some more information, because Acts covers lots of places, different places, and people feel, because they know the facts and that they were, they were as eyewitness could add up the detail, they did. And so, from early on, I think people, people volunteered extra information. So I don't think, I think it's, most of it, I think, is reasonably trustworthy and it doesn't impact doctrine. Uh, so that's None of it actually impacts doctrine. Um, we, they call them Western texts in, because in the way certain communities preserved their documents, they tended to be in the West. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, which is the Western style. Somebody's Latin translation of somebody earlier <laughs> Greek text, and then became the standard text from North Africa westwards, yeah. where they were Latin speakers. They weren't Greek speakers first, so it got established there. And then uh, all we have this whole line of the earliest manuscripts that come down through Alexandria and Sinai and and other places in the East, so-called Alexandrian text. Now, the, the Bible scholars, the best in the world, who have been working with this for the last 200 years, starting with the Germans in the 19th century and then through the British and the Americans joining the 20th. There's no mention even of any of this larger, in essence, commentary in the what they consider to be the best text. So this just didn't even make it into the lowest category of, you know, Wild chance it might have been in, probably not. It, it's, it didn't even reach that level in their judgment. It's it's more or less a commentary that somebody wrote along the way. So the the great hero for of the early church, a guy called Tertullian or Tertullian, depending on how you pronounce your T U. So it could be a tulip, 
Tertullian, or it could be a Tertullian if you want to go a hull. Right. Who knows, eh? Um, I like Tertullian because I like tulips. Anyway, uh, he was a, uh, a hero. Uh, he's the first guy to ever use the word the Trinity. He was definitely a Latin speaker and uh, one of those spiritual charismatics, and he used only Western texts because that was his grouping of Bible from where they come from. It did not affect doctrine. And, and it uh, definitely didn't do, do that at all. Because none of those guys uh, came up with anything bad. In fact, they came up with some pretty good stuff. However, be that as it may, our texts are Alexandrian, and that's the way it's going to be. Okay? Um, but they are handy to, to, to bring up every now and again. All right, great. So, we have a little bit of backstory of our heroes Priscilla and Aquila. And uh, for whatever reason, and we find ourselves, or we find Paul, um, working during the week and on the Sabbath going into the synagogue where uh, he has want to do in every location so far. And, uh, and he reasons um, persuading or trying to persuade Jews and Greeks uh, somehow inserting the name of Jesus, waiting until the opportune time to say, hmm, that passage you just read, that speaks of the Messiah. Okay. Um, do we know how long he stayed there? In this part of the text, no. It just, just it just doesn't give you a time. Says every Sabbath, right? Uh, doesn't say that he goes into the marketplace as he had done in Athens. And why would he not be doing that much? He's working. <laughs> in Athens and in Berea and in Thessalonia. Who, where did he get his support from? Philippians. Correct. The Philippians paid. But once he moves out of his little mandate and he's off to Corinth, he's going to work himself. Okay. So the Philippians don't continue to support him every single, single, single day. Um, he ends up uh, um, having to do that himself. So every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogues trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. And of course, what text is he using? Septuagint Greek, right? That's going to be his, the, the Bible of choice. Um, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, right, so they had been sent out again, and uh, they come, you get this interesting little phrase. Uh, what does everybody's uh, version say for five? Verse five? Yep. I, Paul, was pressed in spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. Wow. <laughs> awesome. Where, where did that one come from? That's in the King James. Wow. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Did you know they said it? Okay. So, Paul, so Silas and Timothy. Silas is a prophet okay Timothy not 100% sure okay come from Macedonia Paul now devotes himself exclusively okay in my version what's your what's the Greek say there brother is he just... Senecho. Yeah, Senecho. It's, a word. Yeah. It's, it's a very broad spectrum of meetings being held constrained okay uh, he could have constrained himself to the word maybe, maybe the spirit it doesn't say who what who did what to whom but yeah. the result is he that's it. He stops working. 
So the first, so until Paul and Silas comes, he's paying himself. He's working hard. Now that Silas and Paul come, Silas and Timothy, what do they do? They did. <laughs> okay, yeah. But they they work. We have no idea what their job is. Okay, it doesn't actually it doesn't actually say that uh, Silas and Timothy they were you know cattle ranchers or they played the stock market or whatever they did. But they're here. They've actually got some money now, and Paul doesn't have to work. So Paul now goes into full time ministry. Now, what does that teach us? What does it teach us about the mission field? There are seasons when our father might want us to be working in real seasons where we might be like Daniel and Pavlov. Yeah, there are times where you got to work, got to go bust the tables, got to go you know, mix the drinks, um, and you're only going to get one day a week to go into a synagogue and do your job. And there are going to be other times where, guess what? They do all the work, and you get to go out and do the mission work. Okay? And which one, whose work is more valuable? Yeah. Team effort. That's right. Team effort. So for the person like Silas, who, you know, we haven't heard him say hardly anything. This guy's a prophet for crying out loud. Okay? And he's going to go bust some tables, or he's going to go do some, he could be a tent maker too for crying out loud. You know, this could be like, the Jewish national pastime. Okay. Um, when in doubt, make a flag, you know, um, whatever they do. Um, and, 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 they, and they do it. But they are, you pull write favorable things about them in epistles and tell them how valuable they were. And, uh, and so for those of us, well, there's not many volunteers around, but those of us volunteers that are working hard and they don't get to go out and do the gospel sharing, well, they're just as valuable. Right? They really need to be learned to be part of the team. Okay, and you can, and it's interesting that that's that they just get that little hint here. All right, so and uh, and and we get a, we get a, a response um, in where are we? All right, so. He testifies to the Jews uh, that Jesus was the Messiah. Uh, verse 6. So, what happens? Yeah, okay. But uh, he, gets, he gets opposed. Um, and uh, it becomes abusive. Not 100% sure that means. Um, but it certainly offends him. Okay. So Paul's reaction is <laughs> yeah, that's right. yeah, yeah, that's it. I'm moving next door. But much better, much, much better place. It was, it was blasphemy, actually. The text says that. Ooh. That finally tipped the, the, uh, the scale. Yeah. They, you could resist and dispute and argue and rebel and whatever, but it was. The last word that's mentioned is that it was their blasphemy that, that finished the... It was apparently a sign to Paul that they had made their final choice. And there was no going back from that point on, so Paul moved on as well. Yep. So at some point, the argument stops, Okay. which is an interesting lesson as well, is it not? 
Okay? Because many times we never give up and perhaps should have. However, what does Paul actually do? What's his, um, in, what's his thing? Yep, the same. Jesus says the same thing. Yeah, shake the your dust off. Okay, your shoes. Yep, and um, and uh, he says your blood is on your own head. Right, I have no responsibility. What did Paul think his responsibility was? Is it like from where it talks about the blood being upon. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. I can't remember. Yeah. Ezekiel's uh, call and what it was to prove. Yeah. Ezekiel said himself free from the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. The specifically says that you have to warn the righteous, not the watchman. That's it. From the other side of that is is Exodus, where God says in Exodus 20, wherever my name will be honored, there I will bless. But if my name is, think, think the opposite now, like what the, the area is saying in the Greek, there's blasphemy. If my name is not going to be honored, then there's not going to be a blessing. Right? And you can, so Paul's a little bit angry here. Um, and he does his little shaking the dust thing. But he feels he's got a responsibility. What would, what, what would Paul have felt responsible to? Why would Paul feel a sense of responsibility? And in the next question, do we have a responsibility? Do we have a responsibility? What is it? Sure. What was, what's the command of Jesus? What does he command us to do? What does Yeshua? Go into all the nations. And make disciples. So, we do have a responsibility. We have a command, actually, as well. But there's a, at some point, there is actually a line where you go, actually, this is no, this is, you've crossed it. This is not working. And I know what my, my boss told me to do. He said, I've got to go and give you the light. And you don't want the light. So, you know what? That's up to you. I've actually done my job. And, uh, and you know, you've crossed the line, so... I'm going next door. I'm not too far away if you change your mind. Okay. Um, so we, we, there is a, an element of that. It's not something that I think makes us all feel comfortable. Some people probably, especially in, in moments of anger. Uh, some of us might feel like failures. I failed. Where was the spirit? Why don't I get the miracle? Why? What? What's wrong with me that uh, they haven't heard? Doesn't doesn't always work. Even heroes who have done miracles, right? Um, doesn't always work out for them as well. Which I think is also a good lesson in recorded in our, in our history. Uh, so Paul uh, shakes his clothes in protest and he says, your blood is on yourself. I'm clear. And he makes this incredible vow. From now on, I shall go to the Gentiles. Excellent. Right. How long does he manage to contain that vow? For? <laughs> okay. Until he goes across the street. Yeah, it's, it, didn't, it didn't last too long. Okay, uh, and it's very interesting that you know, almost tongue in cheek, 
Luke says, and we found ourselves in synagogue again. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, uh, even though he said, I'm not going to do this, but he does. Right? Um, so it's interesting. We better be careful when we make vows, yes? Okay, because we're here. Uh, uh, Sometimes people will, will quote this sort of out of context and say, see, Paul, then he just went to the Gentiles. But this very same chapter, we're going to see him in the synagogue again. Okay. Yeah. So it comes with, yeah. So verse seven, Paul leaves the synagogue, right? And and from our archaeology of Corinth, uh, we know that there was more than one, right? So we don't know why doesn't, he doesn't go to others. Maybe he did. Doesn't say, but uh, and it doesn't say exactly which one he was. Although I did read uh, one article which was absolutely convinced that they knew the street on the, where the synagogue was and they had a little map and all that kind of stuff. It's like, wow, great, good, but we don't know 100%. But we do know from our little piece of uh, eyewitness account, remember Luke's here at this stage, and uh, so Paul leaves the synagogue and he went next door to the house of Titius, some versions say Titus, Justice, okay. He's a worshipper of God. Okay. And uh, Crispus, it was an absolutely fantastic um, Latin name, isn't it? Okay. Who's the synagogue ruler, <coughs> the leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard him uh, believed and were baptized. So, what's interesting about that scenario? So what? Goes to this, he goes right next door. So who is this guy, uh, Titus? What's his name? Titus. Titus Justice. Any, anyone have a clue? I couldn't find too much about him. Just little paragraphs there. They all they all think he was a, a God fearer. Yep. And uh, so he's moved into the Jewish neighbourhood. Um, right next door to the synagogue, right. and um, uh, so it says here, Paul went next door to the house of. What do you think it means by he goes to that guy's house? Do you think he goes and moves in? Because who's he actually staying with? He's staying with Aquila and Priscilla, or Priscilla and Aquila. Okay. Um, yeah, it could do. I'm going to hold my meetings next right next door. <laughs> okay. We, we, we probably underappreciate the depth of the of the disruption going on in a very tight knit community here that included both Jews and Greeks. All of the Jews have wedged themselves into Greek society and felt very comfortable with numbers and numbers of their neighbors joining them in their faith, at least uh, peripherally. All of a sudden, this whole thing is disrupted. Mm -hmm. You've got Jews and Gentiles, right, living together in the same part of town, going to synagogue together, and yet, and now, where does Paul set up shop? Right in the heart of, you know, you know, Mayor Sharim, right next to the great synagogue or whatever he's, it's, it's pretty bold. And, 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 and Ari is probably, it's pretty, probably pretty disruptive as well.
The questions become endless as to what had actually happened. Um, and uh, um, it'd be, it would have been great if we, to see what the Western texts added into, you know, if they actually had some more actually detail or anything like that. But anyway, um, we end up with not, there's not a lot of history on who this uh, Titus Titius Justus is, um, other than a, a, a God-fearer. There's a little bit on Crispus, okay. Uh, Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believe in the Lord. And uh, that must have been um, a bit of a nightmare because um, now the, uh, the synagogue is going to have to get a new uh, boss and or patron. Um, and his entire household believe in the Lord and many of the Corinthians who heard him, whoever they are, could have been the, the God-fearers. Uh, and how would they have heard Paul? They would have been in the synagogue. Right? There's no reference here of him actually in a marketplace per se yet, um, and uh, and they and they get baptized. Um, if you have a look at one Corinthians one, where um, so you've got a, a community where. Um, Paul's come in and caused all kinds of a mess and then when he ends up having to write to Corinthians what's one of the first things that he talks about all their divisions <laughs> okay it's like well thanks Paul you started this but he in verse 10 he says I appeal to you brethren in the name of our Lord Jesus that all of you agree with one another so that there be no divisions among you that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought my brothers, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. And what I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another one says, I follow Apollos. Uh, another one, I follow Cephas. Another one, I follow Christ. Oh, my gosh. Is Christ divided? Was, was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? I am thankful that I did not baptize any of you. Well, except Christmas. <laughs> and guys. No one can say that you are baptized in my name. Oh, yes, and I also baptized Stephanus. Beyond that, I can't remember anybody else. Okay. Um, and, and so you, you do have this, even, even in some of Paul's letters that he writes back to these guys, he mentions that, um, yeah, yeah, I, I remember I baptized a few of these people. And, um, and, and Luke doesn't say that Paul did it. And uh, we're going to assume that the, uh, they have a ready access to what, uh, what form of baptism here? Mikveh. Mikveh, you know, the community's probably got the local mikveh um, uh, where they did this. Now, um, we have, at this point, not had too much problem from the Jewish people, apart from perhaps a little bit of blasphemy or some sort of insults or something that's really ticked Paul off, that we create a new community. So why do we need verse 9? It's built up to an expected conclusion 
that has repeated itself to virtually every city, all this demand. Paul is stealing himself for the next step. Yep, what do you think? What do you think Paul's uh, going with? He's expecting a riot, a beating, a stoning, uh, all of the various and sundry things. Yeah. Uh, he's been beaten in synagogues probably about four times, five times in yeah. his lifetime within an inch of his life. They couldn't very well understand anymore. Yeah. So, what, while the text doesn't say uh, he wanted to leave, there you couldn't do an inference that he wanted to leave. Right? The Lord's next words are, are more than a hint of yeah. all state of mind here. Yeah. And Jesus knows all about it and he comforts him and assures him. Yeah. So, one night doesn't say exactly how long a time that Paul has had with this new community teaching, studying, working out who the, the, the good teachers are, the good leaders are in the community. Um, Lord speaks to Paul in a vision. Right? Who's he got next to him in town? Silas. Right. Who's A? Yeah. Who's not getting the visions? Silas. Okay. Every time we have it, so far this will be our second vision Paul's had and Silas has been around. But they don't come to the prophet. Now that's interesting, don't you think? In fact, we've heard, heard nothing from Silas at all. Okay? But um, Paul gets a vision. Obviously he's going to share it because he's gonna, Luke's going to record it. Okay? Just like Paul shared the vision of the man from Macedonia. Right? Where um, uh, Paul got the vision of someone saying, come to Macedonia and help us. And Paul shared that vision with everybody else and said, do you think it's a really good idea? Right? Which is interesting. You get a vision, and then how do you work out whether the vision's true? Consensus. Ooh. Okay, here you have a vision, and, it, and the, the Lord speaks. Note, not, doesn't say Holy Spirit again. Okay? For whatever reason, he's still that silent, ab absent one. Um, been heavily involved previously, but now God speaks. Don't be afraid. Obviously implying there is a sense of fear and dread. Fair enough. Right? Even though you know God is your boss, even though you know that you have the Holy Spirit, that doesn't stop us from being scared, does it? We are. That's okay. And here, don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Keep doing what you're doing. Love it. Okay? Do not be silent. For I am with you. Isn't that a beautiful word? Yeah. Be strong of good courage, hero. Right? And uh, for I am with you. Do you think Paul had a moment of doubt? Potentially. Okay. He's seen some thing, good things happen before he's had visions. He's been told to Macedonia. He might have said, oh, what am I doing? Perhaps... Perhaps I shouldn't have gone to Corinth. Perhaps I should you know, head back to Macedonia and, and, and stick around there. I mean, who really knows? Um, uh, but, but, but God now is actually revealing, no, you keep speaking. I am with you. And no one is going to attack you. No one's going to lay harm on you. You think that's happened. It has happened before. I know. And what has God not done? God hadn't protected him from the beatings and the bashings. Right? But for some reason, God is in this case. Right? And, and it's very interesting because we're going to get a whole bunch of people saved in this city. 
and then we're going to get a letter about them and find out that they're basket cases. Okay? Now that's a nice thought. <laughs> that God is going to preserve his hero so that we can save some Gentiles who have some big issues to deal with. Welcome to the Christian world. Okay. All right. But I like the fact that Paul, when he's writing to the Corinthians, say, you are the seal of my apostleship. I mean, the work I did in Corinth demonstrates that the Lord really did send me and commission me because you're, you're a great community, even though I mean, you're moving in the right direction, you're coming from a long way back. <laughs> that's a good way of putting it <laughs> yeah that's a great way of putting it okay for I am with you no one is going to attack you and harm you because I have many people in this city isn't that also a nice phrase for God to say okay who owns these people in this city the Lord okay, these are mine and who are we talking about here Jews and Gentiles right that's, that's really nice okay. and um and then you get this very interesting, yet a time phrase. We finally actually get some timing worked out. And uh, so Paul stayed for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. Okay, so we end up with, um, uh, he's done this before. Which other city has he has spent more than a year in? Anyone remember from the rest of the previous chapter? Antioch, yeah. Are there other times where it says Paul stayed there about a year and so on and so on, a year and a bit? Um, so Antioch has been one big base and now Corinth is his next big big one 18 months alrighty uh, that's not too bad um, then we get another time the time phrase while uh, Galileo was proconsul of uh, Acacia and um, if you have a look at your map okay uh, see how this is called Macedonia uh, and Achaia, Achaia, however we pronounce that. Achaia, Achaia. Um, these, it's the whole thing is called Greece, but we don't call it Greece, okay? Because the Romans had conquered it and divided it up, and uh, they had, and Corinth had was the capital of of uh, Achaia. And many times in the text, it will actually say Macedonia and Achaia, okay? the, the, keeping the. Uh, uh, the, t the geography's correct. Right. Eyewitnesses and on site. And uh, we're now in the year 51 because we have our proconsul, uh, 51 to 52 AD. Uh, Galileo was proconsul of Achaia. The Jews made a united attack on Paul, or however, whatever that uh, really comes out to be, and they bring him to court. So somehow they figure out how um, to seize him and, uh, and drag him um, before the proconsul. And so then they charge. Uh, and the charge is, this man they charge is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Right. Okay. Um, What sort of law do you think he's talking about? Is he... Like, what is the Roman law? What's the Roman law? We've had, it, we've had this question before. Submitting to the emperor, to, to the authority okay. of the so you, there's, So, Caesar's God, right? Um, and 
and uh, we've already got, we've worked out what religions are real and what religions are false, and we don't do new religions. So there is a law, right? Um, and it would be easy to say this guy is proclaiming false gods. This is against Roman law. And, uh, but they, maybe they misspoke. What does it say in the, in the, in the Greek? It's nomos. Nomos, so it's law. It's, mm -hmm. a, uh, it's a two meanings here. Yeah. Galios could have chosen to translate it as Torah. Yeah. Uh, your Torah? That's your problem. That's your problem. Yeah, it's your problem. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so whatever the charge is, yeah, he doesn't have any, anything he wants to do with it. So Paul was about to speak. Paul is about to give his defense, and it doesn't work because he gets interrupted. Um, uh, Galio said to the Jews, Now, Galio is only proconsul for one year. Why do you think that is? Because he's not very good. <laughs> okay, he ended up being a bit of a bad seed. So he gets replaced pretty quick. Right? And you can almost see from this incident how bad a judge he really is. Okay? He's really not paying any attention. Right? Um, if you Jews are making a complaint about some misdemeanor or some serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen. Right? But since it involves questions and words about your normals, your law. Okay. Well, you settle the matter yourselves. I'm not going to be the judge of these things. I mean, the Romans had, um, they knew that they subjugated lots of people. That's what they did. And they knew that there was lots of different types of people in, in their authority and they all had different ways of doing things. And, um, and so while they still had Pax Romana, they still had the law, they actually let their own groups um, pretty much stay themselves. Um, yeah, because Judaism was a committed religion. Yep. Predating the Roman Empire. Yep. Uh, so you can do your own thing. Yep. Yep. Uh, so we had them ejected from court. I'm not going to waste my time. Um, what, he was also known for taking bribes. So, what's one thing the Jewish people didn't uh, obviously do? Didn't give him a big enough bribe. Okay, um, so it's not working. Uh, so we had them ejected, and then they all turn on this guy called uh, uh, Sosthenes. Sosthenes. Okay, the synagogue ruler. Is that what that means? I don't think it is. Is it? Yes. Is it? No, no. Sosthenes is a common Greek name. Yeah. This is called the synagogue. Okay. He replaced Crispus. Yeah. Okay, and they beat him in front of the court. Now, why would they do such a thing? Yeah. I mean, so, <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, it's quite interesting. Is like, I wonder why this guy gets um, uh, uh, beaten up. Okay. Well, there are two interpretations here. Yeah. Uh, because it doesn't say in the original text that it was Greeks that beat him. Some commentators think that it was the Jews that beat him for not carrying through and getting through to Galios, taking out their frustrations on poor Sosthenes. Mm -hmm. Doesn't to me seem to fit the context as well as the, the Greeks hanging around and beating him up, probably out of Latins and Semitism. It could be. Yeah. Since he was, says he was a convert to Christianity. He's mentioned in First Corinthians. No, not necessarily. There was. Yes. Sosthenes is mentioned in First Corinthians. Yep. It's a common name. It's, we, we have no basis for knowing we're thinking that that's it's right. the same guy. Or we don't. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. At this point, was the leader of the synagogue, so presumably he was not among the believers. Yeah. The, in, in Corinthians 1 1, he's called, Paul calls him the, his brother. Right? A, a brother. Yeah. A brother, yeah. So, and, he, and it's right in the, in the introduction. Um, and, and so some scholars go, oh, it's got to be that guy. Okay, because of the same name. Yeah, it could be, it's possible. But it also could just be somebody else. I'm not, not 100% sure. I'm not 100% sure who beats the guy up, but we've replaced Crispus and he gets a beating for it. Okay, so it's not always good to be the king. Um, and, uh, and then you get that very interesting little uh, note by Luke, who was probably watching, as though, okay, we've just thrashed somebody. Could, if it's anti-Semitism, if it's Greek speeding him, what does it mean that uh, Galileo pays no attention? Or what does it mean if it's Jews beating up Jews? And Galileo pays no attention. Either way, depending on, on you know, uh, the, the, the situation, uh, Galileo is um, not such a good, a good guy. And uh, he ends up not being able to stick around. Right. Um, so what do you think? Do you think it was rising anti-Semitism, or do you think it was a just a an in-house uh, altercation? Person, as mentioned in Corinthians, and he's there referred, uh, Paul refers to him as his brother, then he must have been a God fearer. But then from this text, it can't be because he was a leader of the synagogue. He's leader of a synagogue, so he's definitely Jewish. Got yes. a Greek name, but that doesn't mean anything. Um, right? Because Crispus is Latin name. Yeah. Just their names. Um, but yeah, it could be that he gets the beating. And, and why does he get the beating? Well, they blame him um, for Paul getting off. Why do they blame him for Paul getting off? Maybe because he's a buddy-buddy with Paul. And you know, next hop, skip, and a jump, he's definitely the one we see in 1 Corinthians 1. Or we could go down the line that um, uh, we've actually... Uh, Galileo hasn't got any... Uh, doesn't really care what's going on. And... Uh, anti-semitism uh, takes its takes its form where they go well the guy's not paying any attention now we can rough these guys up say don't ever come here again guys don't unless you can bribe us properly um, we're not gonna hear your cases right and not only that watch what we can get away with and um, you know rough him up and no one no one no one cares could be the fact that they actually mentioned he's a lead in the synagogue that's definitely maybe refers to the fact that there was some Jewish aspect to the fact that they beat him up. Could be. I'm, I'm inclined to think that yeah. as well. You're kind of think that it was the the Jews beating up Sosthenes, and because of that, guys, this is an internal yeah, internal like, thing. Yeah. Um, look at look how silly this is. Yeah. And so he uh, pays no attention, doesn't try and stop it. Slight, I mean, slight tendency in that direction, but you can't tell. Yeah. Now, if you were the synagogue ruler and you didn't believe in Jesus and suddenly you're beaten up by your fellow Jews who also don't believe in Jesus, what's going to be your morning's activity? <laughs> Think I'll go see the guys next door. 
You know, it's like, these guys keep hitting me. You used to be the leader of these people. Is that what they did to you too? You know, it's like, um, so it's also possible that due to this event, he's attracted to the nice people, okay, as opposed to the nasty people. Um, it could be, in which case, therefore, uh, 1 Corinthians 1, this is the same guy. But we don't know. But it's definitely possible. Um, anyway. All right. We'll, um, we'll, we'll go on to the next guys, Priscilla, Aquila, and Apollos. And you know these three names? Priscilla, Aquila, and Apollos? They're all potential writers of which book? Hebrews. Yes. <laughs> you know, because of the, these, their appearance now in this part of sacred history um, and the way that they are described as being um, very well uh, able to uh, expose the gospel and share the scriptures, they become um, uh, candidates for the author of the Apostle of, for the book of Hebrews. And of course, one of them is a woman. Ooh. So. I think Apollos gets my vote. Apollos is your vote? Yeah. You like that? Because he he's able so convincingly to convince people from the scriptures. He knows his scriptures inside out. And when you read Hebrews, you think, this guy's know what he's talking about. This guy can hold an arm. <laughs> because it's written like a it's, uh, it's written like a speech. Mm -hmm. It's an oral delivery rhetoric. And the guy thinks like a Greek because of what's the contents of Hebrew. Best Greek and then best Yeah. Put that and, and this second half of Hebrew is best Greek. So it's, he's a scholar, he's a philosopher, he's a debater, mm -hmm. and he can run circles around almost everybody. And could be. Very good, could be. Totally. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. I have no idea, but it could be. <laughs> It's definitely not Paul, how's that? Yeah. <laughs> if it's not Paul, I'll buy you a drink. Awesome. That's not fair. <laughs> okay. Hey, brothers and sisters, thank you very much for a good, I hope you all have a good night. Uh, safe trip home. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.